uh, we decided as a church that every year in February-ish, we were going to do a series on marriage and a series on parenting. We're going to alternate them back and forth uh, because, A, that is part of our culture. We want to engage our culture with the gospel. And B, uh, those are really some powerful and significant things to process as the family of God in what it means to be an experienced marriage and what it means to be an experienced parenting. So today, what I want to do is actually share with you two emails that I received after or around our marriage series last year. So the first was from a single person in our church. And this email shared some of their struggles with our marriage series. Now, in fairness, it was a very humble and vulnerable email. It stirred some things for them about being single and actually um, confessing some things about feeling like an outsider in experiencing that in their life. I'll come back to that in just a second. The second email I received was later in the year, in September actually, from a young man in a church. Talked to both of them this week, just so you know I got permission to share this. Uh, and they appreciated our value on preaching about marriage and preaching about parenting, but wondered if we were missing out on an important piece by not engaging with singles even though there's a small percentage of singles in our congregation in a gospel-centered way. And they had a great line. I wanted to read it to you. They wrote, I worry we will only perpetuate a cycle of an unhealthy view of sex, singleness, relationships, marriage, and parenting if we seemingly hold marriage and parenthood to a higher honor. I'm so thankful for our church family and, frankly, that people would feel the freedom to speak and confront. I, I heard a great line this week that I, I really appreciated. Sometimes we think that the genius is in the room when the genius is the room. I love that, right? That that really is the truth of the body of Christ I hope that you would know that, that yes, in some ways, maybe I've studied and learned more than you, but the way that the Holy Spirit works in the body of Christ is not necessarily that the genius is in the room, but the genius is the body of Christ. And to have the body of Christ help and shape and instruct, is, is, I'm, I'm extremely thankful for that. And so this morning, even though next week, we're going to do a three-week series on parenting. I would like to today engage on the topic of singleness. And with this idea and understanding that in the body of Christ, it's filled with people of all races, all ages, male and female, married and unmarried, singled and divorced, and process what this means to be single and what God's call is in the midst of that. And frankly, just to be completely transparent here, confess to you guys and offer that I've spent some time in repentance this last couple weeks, actually for several months as I've been preparing for this, in doing a good job of shepherding us 
in valuing and understanding what a gospel-centered view of singleness is. You know, I think sometimes I had the opportunity in these last several weeks, I've actually engaged with several singles in our church to help me with this sermon. Uh, I was, have only was a single for a short time in my life. And so I think learned a ton from them and just engaging and going to share some of those thoughts with you this morning. But I, I think part of my heart is as our shepherd here to help us have this healthy view of singleness because when we portray this idea that marriage is where it's at, we have actually an unhealthy view of what the Bible calls us to. And then we make others feel like they're missing their call. And, and I want to be a place where we're all understanding and grasping what God's call to singleness is. Now, what's interesting in this moment, I, I have no idea what's going through your brains. And I wonder if you're thinking, oh man, I haven't been to church in three weeks and now i got to sit in a sermon on singleness? And I say that a little tongue-in-cheek because I hope that's not what you're thinking. It's interesting, so to come back to the first email that I received, what was really powerful me, for, for me from this person was that they actually ended up coming to the marriage series, this single person, this was the single person. And they had then went on to talk about how powerful it was hearing the marriage series, especially this one part we were talking about. Some of you may remember Donna and I were together last year sharing, and we, we were engaging on this idea of loneliness and how even in marriage you can experience loneliness. And the single person was pondering how powerful that was that they thought, oh, I'm lonely and I'm the only one who experiences loneliness. But there was this understanding that Marriage doesn't take away all the struggles that single people have. In fact, Paul's going to tell us that for some, in some ways, marriage is even more complicated than being single. And so today we're going to dive into this idea of singleness. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It is really the best place in all of Scripture that unpacks. It's Paul's treatise on singleness and marriage. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to be kind of going through the chapter, and you can also find some information on the sermon this morning on First Corinthians, or in uh, the summitstl.info, the sermon notes there will be on there as well. And so here Paul speaks on length on the topic of singleness, and the way he addresses this chapter in First Corinthians, he's writing on this topic because the Corinthians were asking some hard questions about singleness and marriage. And you see in verse 1 there, he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So basically, the Corinthians wrote Paul, and they're like, hey, bro, we got some questions about singleness and what it means and marriage and divorce and what we're supposed to do. And they lived in this crazy, super hyper-sexualized culture. And there were all kinds of things going on. And they were asking, if we're going to follow Jesus, I mean, there was this deep passion in the church of Corinth to follow Jesus. And what they were saying was, if we're going to have an undivided devotion to him, wouldn't it be better if we were single? That's how, I love what, you know, Dwayne was leading us in here, right? Like this undivided heart to Jesus, this deep passion and devotion to him. And, and the Corinthian church was saying, we want to be so devoted to Jesus that for those of us who are married, shouldn't, would, would it be better if we were single? Would it be better if we didn't engage in sexual activity? 
Would it be better if we just gave that up and, and lived this life? And Paul says, not really. You're kind of missing the point of what God calls us to. And so Paul says, and my point and proposition for us today is this. Your standing with Christ and your standing in the church family are not impacted by your marital status. Both marrieds and singles are called to an undivided devotion to Jesus. And so my hope for all of us this morning, church, is that, that just like my friend who was impacted by a sermon on marriage, even though they were single, I hope that for the many of you here this morning that are married, as we engage on this topic of singleness, that you'll let the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, transform your heart and what He's calling you to in devotion to Him, even as we address the topic of singleness. So what I want to do this morning is actually, because I've never preached on singleness before on 1 Corinthians 7, or really even thought about the topic that much, to be fair, I'm just going to dive into a theology of singleness. And we're going to start there. And then we're going to spend some time getting super practical at the end. I'm going to give a couple of practical applications and implications for singles and then one for married couples. That's the outline of our sermon today. So let's start with the theology of singleness. If you jump down there in chapter 7 to verse 29, 27, Paul says this. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, so he's addressing this question, you know, wait, if we're married, should we get divorced so we can live more for Jesus? He's saying, if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. So let's... Let's help crush something that our culture thinks is true. If you get married, it will solve all of your problems. Married's in here. Can we please all agree on this one? If if you agree, I'll, I'll tell you when. Say amen. That if you get married, it will solve all your problems. The answer to that is an emphatic no. If you agree, say amen. For all the singles in here, I hope you heard that. There is plenty of struggle in marriage. In fact, Paul just blatantly, bluntly here says, I'm sorry for you married people. It's harder. It's going to divide you. It's going to make life complicated. He wants to spare them of that, of that struggle. Now, Some of us may say, well, hey, wait a second, Paul. You have one of the most beautiful treaties on marriage in all of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5. You've written down some pretty amazing things about the picture of marriage and what it does in helping us understand the gospel and what it means to understand our relationship with with Jesus. And, And the answer to that is yes, of course he does. But I think what he's trying to draw out and he's trying to help us understand that for especially in our culture in the West, even though he was speaking 2,000 years ago, what we've done is we've put this weight on marriage and this concept of marriage that, frankly, God never designed marriage to be. 
We're going to flesh that out some more in a minute, but, but let me, let's look here to more what he says. So he says in verse 29, this is what I mean, brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. And so what he's thinking about here is he's really starting to turn both singles and Mary's mindset to the future. He wants us to have a future mindset to drive how we behave and act now. So listen to what he says. He says, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present, wor- present form of this world is passing away. Now Paul's doing something really cool here in how he's pr- processing singleness and marriage. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to help the body of Corinth, the body of Christ in Corinth, the family of grace in Corinth, have a kingdom-minded mentality on what it means to follow Jesus. There's this principle here that matters. Paul is constantly giving advice to all parts of the family. So all throughout scripture, Paul is speaking to husbands, wives, to kids, and to singles. Why? Because there's something unique that happens when you come, become a part of a, a follower of Jesus is that really what happens is you become a part of a new family. Like this now is your family. This is where everyone is a part of, a, of the kingdom of God in a way that you become united in a family. And what happens when Jesus invites us into that is he's saying, I want you to understand that there's a taste This family that you're a part of is a taste of a future family. Now, we talk about this a lot here, and I'm going to talk about it again because I I don't think we can process this enough because for all of us, when we put our faith in Jesus, we're putting our faith in Jesus because, yes, we want to be saved. We want to know that our sins have been forgiven, but we're also putting our faith in Jesus in a way that says, I want to be a part of a life that's different than the way life is lived now. That I'm looking forward to, I understand that what is coming is a kingdom where everything is going to be perfect. It's going to be right. There's going to be perfect relationships and perfect peace and perfect joy. And, and so I follow Jesus because what he says is, I can li- he teaches me how to live in this world now and point to a world that will one day come. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. He, he's saying... You know, Jesus came once, and what happened when he came, I'll do it this way because it makes more sense to go this way for you. Jesus came once, and when he came, a lot of people thought he was going to usher in this brand new kingdom, but what he said was, no, 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 not yet. I'm going to come again, and I'm going to bring that perfect kingdom. So now you guys are going to live in the in-between, but my kingdom is, gonna, is going to start So my spirit is going to come, and through the body of Christ, what's going to happen is you guys are all going to point to this future kingdom. And I want you to live in a way where you're saying, yes, the things of this world, what we heard what Paul said right at the end there, the things of this world are what? They're passing away because a future kingdom is coming where everything is going to be the way it's supposed to be. And so what, what does that mean? So until Christ returns, marry. It's okay. Mourn. Rejoice work, and engage with the world in a way that points people to the future kingdom. What Paul is saying here 
is that everything we do now needs to be in light of the future. And in the future, God is going to give you everything you need. So, okay, that's the theology of it. Practically, what does that mean? What Paul's saying is, it's okay to work and make money, but don't make it what everything is about your life. Because ultimate wealth will be found in the future kingdom. And he's saying, in the same way, it's okay to weep and rejoice. But remember, the greatest joy that you will have is in the future kingdom. So what he's doing is he's saying, hey, we live here, but we don't make what we have here more significant and more valuable than what we will have in the future kingdom. So, Tim Keller one of my favorite preachers, he says this, the ultimate family is in the future. The ultimate wedding is in the future. The wedding supper of the Lamb and all of the deepest desires you have for love, for closure, for acceptance, for security will be satisfied when Christ returns. Hear that last sentence again. Because this applies to everybody. All the deepest desires you have for love, for closure, for acceptance, for security will be satisfied when? When Christ returns. And what this means is earthly marriage and earthly family can only be a foretaste and a signpost of what is to come. And we shouldn't make them to be more than they ought to be. That's the point here. That's what Paul's saying. Don't make them more than they ought to be. Did you, did you know that, I, I learned this in studying for this, that before the Reformation, which was, you know, 15, 1600s, that actually the most significant and important leaders in the church were singles. That it actually shifted, the Reformation kind of made, mar- brought more valuableness to marriage and what it means for sure, but, but there was this time because people wanted to be so devoted to Jesus that what they would do is they would say, I can live in such a way where I'm looking forward to a future marriage, a future family, because God has built me for that. And so it's okay to not have to have marriage and family in this life. It's really powerful to think about what singleness portrays in this world. Paul, what he's doing, he's commissioning marrieds and singles to be fully devoted to Jesus and to not make marriage and family more significant and more valuable than it's designed to be. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about that just for a second because I feel like I'm going to leave some of that. People are going to be like, wait, what? So I'm, I'm going to try to dig into that for a second here. But, but look how Paul ends this whole thing. In verse 35, he says, I say all this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So, when married or single, live in light of the future kingdom, which means whether you're married or single, be devoted to Jesus first and foremost. So, let's talk about marriage here just for a second, because I, I, I want to unpack this. So, what does the power of the gospel do? It brings freedom in our life. 
So to married people, what he's saying is, when you're in Christ, the way you'll understand marriage is that there will be freedom there. You're not going to give marriage more weight than it should have. And so there's kind of two ditches that we can fall into on this, right? One is, is that people can be a slave to their marriage. You know, you know, marriage can be an extremely beautiful and wonderful thing, but what happens is, is we start to put this weight on our spouse that they have to be the one to meet any and every and all of our needs. There's some guy in here right now who's elbowing his wife going, I never do that to you, babe. I never do that. Oh, man, I, I, I will tell you guys... I've told you this in, the, in last fall, so our youngest is 16. She's about to, uh, you know, she's got two more years till she graduates. So Donna and I, last summer, we were like, you know what, let's just, let's go start talking to a therapist. Like, we want to we wanna dig deeper into our relationship. So we've been talking to this guy in Joplin for the last several months. It's been amazing. And last summer, there was this time when we really started processing marriage and I was so convicted about how much weight I was putting on Dondra to meet my needs. I mean, deeply convicted that, that I was putting more weight on the marriage. Like, I need her to be happy. I, I need her to do these things. And, and, and I'm going to get to the other side here, but but I think what, what we do sometimes, you guys, is we put so much weight on this other person to give us what we need. And what Paul's saying is, if you do that, you will crush your marriage. Because the only person that can meet all of your needs is Jesus. So to you, marrieds, I would say, do you know when you cross that line? Do you know when you're putting a weight on your marriage and your spouse that they were never meant to bear? Now, the other ditch that we fall into, the other side that marrieds fall into, is that we, and this is where Paul's talking about, he's like, now hang on, if you get married, you're committing to something, it's going to change, it changes because you have to commit to your spouse, you have to love them and serve them, and we see this other ditch that our world and culture falls into is where we're like, well, if it's not meeting my needs, then I'm out. I quit. And this is extremely prevalent, that there's kind of like this, it's all about me and what I want. And so if you're not going to give me what I want, you know, one more shot and then I'm done. And what Paul's saying is we're completely missing what God calls us to when we live like that. And we're putting a weight on marriage that God's design for marriage was never intended to have. And you can see why singles in our world think that they're missing out if they're not married. Paul's saying in this chapter is it's easy to make it where the other person is all you need. And he says, marrieds, be fully devoted to Jesus. And when we are, when the gospel drives us, we won't fall into those ditches because we'll be able to live in a way where we won't put more pressure on the other person to be what we need them to be. And we won't just live in this world of, it's all about me and if you don't meet my needs, I'm done. We'll be able to sacrifice and serve 
and we'll be able to, to limit what we ask of the other person. It'll be, and that's where there'll be freedom and beauty. Why? Because we have everything we need in Christ. But we have to be fully devoted to him in order to experience the freedom to have that marriage. And the same is true for singles. There's a powerful, powerful point that Paul makes in verses 6 and 7 of this chapter. He says, now a concession, not a command. I say this, I wish this all were as, I wish that all were as I myself am. So he's saying, I wish you guys could be single like me. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And what he's talking about there is he's saying singleness is a gift. That Paul has come to this place of seeing where singleness is truly a gift. Because singles, when they, when they have that mindset, when they aren't elevating marriage to something and family to something that it's not ever meant to be, then, then there's this place of where they can be devoted to Jesus, where they can serve more, love more, that they, they can dig in and understand friendship more. I mean, this is the moment to point out, can we just remind ourselves that the two most significant people in the Christian experience were single? Jesus was single, Like the ultimate human who ever walked on this planet was single. And and what I want to say about that is what? That that Jesus wasn't, it wasn't like he was saying, oh, I never got married, I missed out. No, I think what Jesus was able to do was he was able to say there's a future family and a future kingdom that he was pointing to that he knew that that's where all of our needs needed to be met. And so, yes, if marriage happens, awesome, that's great. But if it doesn't, we don't look down on them. And say, oh, you're, you're a lesser person. Or you, and and, and can, can I just call us out, church, that when we make these subtle jokes about, hey, maybe someday we'll come along for, someone will come along for you. Or, you know, let me see if I can hook you up with my friends. That when, that when we're doing that, we're kind of setting this example that, hey, we're married and we have it all figured out. But we'll try and figure it out for you. Hey, one more time. Does marriage solve all of our problems? No. Amen. So why do we do that? Why do we do that? Well, frankly, it's because we have a small picture of what the future kingdom is going to be and what God is calling us to. And we elevate marriage and family to something it's never been designed to be. Now, you guys, you know, I mean, we're, we're about to do three weeks on parenting. So I'm not trying to minimize the value and importance of family that God calls us into and our responsibilities there. But what I'm trying to do is what Paul was doing in this chapter was he was saying, you guys, listen, in the body of Christ, whether you're married or not, you're both of equal importance and significance, and we need each other desperately. And and, and we're going to be used by him because of that. And so please, please, please remember and, and value each other and learn from each other. Be devoted to Jesus, both of you. And to all of my married friends in here, I would say, we need, I need singles in my life to help me remember, to point me to, to remind me that there isn't a weight I need to put on Dondra and and that I shouldn't just give up if it's not fun for me, but, but that there is a future family and a future kingdom that God has brought me into, and so I should be devoted to him first and foremost. In marriage, there are advantages and trials, and, and, 
and to speak to my single friends, I know that in singleness, what I've learned in these last couple weeks as I talk to you is that there are great advantages and there are trials. My, my hope this morning is to try to point you singles to seeing the advantages that God has invited you into in this. I think in our world and in our church, it's hard to sometimes to see those, but there are advantages. It's, but I get that for some of you, it is a trial. And what we both need in the midst of advantages and trials is an undivided heart for the future kingdom of God. You know, one thing in our world that has caused us to be divided, our hearts to be divided when it comes to Jesus, married or single, and I just want to speak to this quickly, is our sexualized culture that in the world right now, there is this deep lie that sexual expression and sexual experience are necessary for human flourishing. Can I just say that one more time? In our world, there is a lie. And, and, and I think sometimes because we, we don't flesh it out a lot in our, in our church culture, that sexual expression and sexual experience are necessary for human flourishing. And an undivided heart to Christ will find that flourishing happens in Christ. And so singles, we need you to remind marrieds this. And marrieds, we need to invite singles into our lives and, and point them, yes, sex is a beautiful and wonderful thing when it's in the context of marriage. For sh- yes, of course it is. But let's, re- let's remember that we don't need sex to flourish. Rachel Gilson, she has a book. It's an interesting, controversial book, but she had a great quote in there that I loved as I was getting ready for this. And I, I'll finish the theology of singleness with this quote. She said, single Christians communicate that a truer marriage is coming and that they are willing to bet their life on it. They communicate that the church really is a family and we better live like it. And then I love, I love how she brings in the struggle too, though. Even when his singleness is unchosen and painful, The single man communicates how much Jesus longs for his bride, the church. And the single woman shows the longing of the church away from the Lord, how worth waiting for he is. And neither will feel as if they have missed out when the picture is swallowed up by the real thing. Isn't that beautiful? Singles, I would just encourage you with that this morning. In, our, in your devotion to Jesus, it's, it's looking to and being excited about the future kingdom that is to come where there is perfect family. And when you taste that in the marriage of the lamb, the bride to his church, never will you say, I missed out. Because you're standing with Christ and your standing in the church family are not impacted by your marital status. Both marrieds and singles are called to an undivided devotion to Jesus. So let me 
share just a few practical things here if I can, a few encouragements. Similar questions. First, to singles. Let me speak directly to you for a few, few seconds here. Two, two things that I'd ask you to consider. First is this. How do you think about your singleness? Would you this week reflect on your singleness in light of the gospel? And, and I would ask you to turn to verses 6 and 7 of this chapter and ask God to show you where singleness is a gift. I'm not saying that there aren't trials in it, and there's all different kinds of singles in here, right? That, that some of us have experienced it just throughout our life. We've never been married. Some of you guys have experienced it through divorce. Some of you have experienced it through widowing, and there's all different kinds of desires and things underneath all of that that are complex and hard. And I would just ask you, in light of all of that, to look at that verse and ask, how is God saying to you, yes, but this is still a gift to you? It's not a gift because he's like, well, I'm going to give you this, but you're still missing out. Like, no, God's saying, hey, there, here's something beautiful I've given you. That God wants you to experience flourishing in this time, to grow in Christ-likeness. And specifically, to, to those who have experienced divorce in here, I think sometimes in our singleness, there's even more of that struggle, that there's like this stain or this scarlet letter that's worn because of it, and divorce is messy and complicated, and, and there's so much to say on this, but I would just remind you that Jesus invites you into his family, and he says, you belong here. And, and remember what we've been saying all morning, that no matter your status, no, whether it's married or not, you belong in the family of Jesus. And the second thing, practically speaking, so my first thing to you singles is to ponder and reflect on how do you think about your singleness. The second thing is to say, our church desperately needs your voice. I know that there aren't many of you in here. But I need you to help me remember that marriage isn't the end-all, be-all of life. I need to be reminded of that. And just because you aren't single, it, that you are single, doesn't mean that you don't have a voice for marriage. In fact, I would argue we need your voice even that much more. When we talk about believing the gospel as a church, what we're saying is we want to apply the gospel to every area of our lives. So if you are learning to apply the gospel to every area of your life, then I need you to look at my life and help me apply it too. And to help me understand and believe what it means to be undivided in my pursuit and my understanding of following and pursuing Jesus in my life. And so two things for you singles this morning. How do you think about your singleness? And just hear me invite your voice in our groups, in our kids area, in our uh, Bible studies. All the things that are going on, we need your voice. And to marrieds, I would ask you the same question. How do you think about marriage? How do you think about marriage? And especially in light of those two things, are you putting too much weight or no weight on your marriage that's causing you to not live in the freedom and devotion that Jesus wants you to live in? Do you have singles in your life that can point out to you the difference? 
that can help you, that can help point you to a future kingdom and a future family and a truer marriage? Or are you looking to your marriage to meet all your needs? And are you looking to your sex life to be what's going to bring flourishing in your life? Friends, may we come to a place of repentance and say, may it be not so. May we be like Paul calls us to here at the end, to to live in a way and promote good order and to secure our undivided devotion first and foremost to Jesus. Marriage is not, if it's not lived in light of the perfect marriage, it will crush you. And singleness, if not lived in light of the future family, will crush you. There's a call to us all this morning to be devoted to Jesus and him alone. And in that, he will give us the freedom to experience marriage the way it was designed to be and the gift of singleness the way it was designed to be. And the fact is, in the reality of it all, we'll stumble in this. That we stumble in our devotion to Jesus. But Jesus, he was single-minded. He was undivided. He was completely devoted in his desire to redeem you and me. And he never failed in his temptation, and he never failed in the darkest moment of his life, and he was still devoted to his Father for the purpose of seeing us redeemed. May we look back to what Jesus accomplished on the cross and live our lives fully devoted to him, empowered by his unwavering devotion to his Father and his mission for our redemption and our restoration. Let's pray. Almighty God, thanks for your word. Thanks that your word, may it remind us this morning that it applies to all of life. And may we this morning, Father, become a family devoted to your son. Help us to live like that family. Help us to truly be that kind of family, Father. Break us free from the things that make us, that any of us think that any of us are better than anybody else in this room or that any of us think any of us are less than anyone else in this room. Might we know that Jesus is the one who sets us free and redeems us from our sins and restores us and makes us holy and right. And so because of that, We can love one another and support one another and remind each other of a future kingdom that is to come. And until that day comes, may we live in complete and utter devotion to you. And so, Father, I pray for us all that you would show us where our hearts are divided this morning and where we need to submit and come under and find freedom in being devoted to Jesus and him and him alone. And this is our prayer. In his name we pray. Amen. And amen.